0: Alright, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Turn in your Bibles to book of Acts chapter 10. And then as you turn, I would ask you to stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word this morning. And I'll be starting the reading in verse 34. Verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who ordained, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins, once again, Lord, we pray these texts into our hearts. We pray that you would speak by your Spirit to show us your ways in Jesus' name, Amen. You can have a seat. And so we are continuing in our study through the Book of Acts. I read an excerpt of what we're going to be studying today. We're going to work our way through Acts chapter ten. But I thought this being the most uh, kind of medius part of the text this morning. And we have moved, remember, from the salvation of Saul of Tarsus to the character of Peter in the book of Acts. And Peter, again, is one of my favorite characters. Is he not yours in many ways if you've studied and looked at him? We can so relate to Peter. He was such a, a human, lovable, sort of compulsive, in some ways maybe a little bit crazy guy in the way he did things. I mean, he did things that no one else did. Uh, and, and, it, and I believe Peter was probably one who easily admitted when he was wrong, which I think is a really important characteristic in life. And he wanted to change and see God work in his life. He, he wanted to grow, but, you know, he struggled. You remember, he's the guy who who said who stepped out and walked on water. And, of course, he's also the guy who sunk. <laughs> and, and he's the guy who Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, Lord, I'll never deny you. And he pulled out his pocket knife. And he chased that guy down with his pocket knife and he stabbed him. But then, of course, he's also the guy that Jesus met his eyes at the crucifixion and he was condemned in his heart, I'm sure. But then Jesus met him on the Sea of Galilee and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, Pete. You can do this, Peter, because I'm with you. And Peter's like, I love you. I think you're a great guy. And Jesus is like, well, do you, do you really love me? And Peter's like, If you ask me again, I'm going nuts. He didn't say that. That's my own paraphrase. But now God chooses Peter for another important mission in this text. And it's interesting because Philip is living in Caesarea, where this activity takes place with this fellow named Cornelius we're going to read about. And and he will be one of the first to bring the gospel to the Gentiles is Philip. He goes into Samaria. But Peter is the one chosen by God to be the main person to go and deal with and, and open the gospel to the group called the Gentiles. You know, Paul, when he wrote Ephesians in chapter 2, he spoke about the wall of division between Jews and Gentiles and that it's a, it's a wall that can only be broken down by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the work of God. And, you know, we, we face our own uh, prejudices in our world, in our culture. Uh, and I think more so today than maybe in many years. I think we went through a period of time when it didn't seem like race or prejudice was a big deal, and now it seems like the media and everybody has made it a really big deal again. But the the, the divide between Jew and Gentile is far greater than any divide between blacks and whites, for example. It's it's probably not even comparable. Although we think that's a big big thing in our country, they they were really really. Uh, Upset with each other. Maybe today the the biggest divide would be conservatives and liberals, right? If you watch Fox News or CNN, you'll definitely see those things. Uh, I, I, by the way, I don't like to con- I don't like to label myself conservative. I am conservative by nature, as far as the word is concerned. But I don't like to label myself because I want to reach everybody with the gospel, right? So if you say, "Well, I'm a conservative," and I'm a trumpet, I mean, not you know, you know. You know. <laughs> As soon as you say that, you alienate some people, right? So I just want to remain. I remember I had a conversation with a lady on the plane. I, I'm always on planes, so I have these conversations, and and it was before the election with Hillary Clinton. So you know, it was that was a very volatile time, and everybody was screaming about Trump, and or maybe it was just after. But anyway, she we had this rousing conversation. She was a Jewish lady. We had a great. Conversation. I shared the gospel with her. It was awesome. She was open. She was willing to read the Bible, willing to read the New Testament, all these wonderful things. And at the end of the conversation, she said, so what do you think of Donald Trump? And I said, can I just avoid that question, please? (laughs) Because I kind of think you think you don't think well of Donald Trump. And she's like, and I explained it. I'm not a big, I'm not a trumpet. But anyway. i'm i i I like to stay away from that stuff when it comes to people right because i want to reach people i want people to hear the gospel and the good news and i want to avoid those subjects so i kind of did with her as best i could but this 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 divide between the jews and the gentiles was a long-standing one in fact at the time when this is written the Jews had, had been under Rome's rule for over a hundred years. They had been oppressed. And their pride and the arrogance of the Romans was absolutely overbearing to the Jews. So they were those Gentiles. And they had as little contact with Gentiles as they could. The wall was built up and it had become so high that there was a parable that each day the rabbis would say. They would say, I thank you, God that I am not a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. <laughs> That's what the rabbis would pray. No offense, ladies, I'm just telling you what they said. <clears throat> they lived side by side, but they didn't like each other at all, and there's this wall between them. And in Acts 1.8, we know that Jesus, when he came and he sent the Holy Spirit, he said, you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Remember? Judea, which is outside Jerusalem, Samaria, which is the half Jew, half Gentile area, and what? The whole world, the ends of the earth, right? So this is where this is leading us. This is where Peter is going to begin to go. Uh, And God is doing, by the way, the same with us. He wants us to go to the whole world. We, we should not be limited to anyone thinking that they can't hear the gospel. Uh, and I want you to think about this. I'm going to draw your attention to this at the end of the message today too, but think about someone you think is unreachable. Someone you know in your life, someone around your life, and you think they'll never, by the way, I was that guy. I was the guy in my family and in, you know, where my, they, he, he'll never get saved, that guy. Well, I've been saved 43 years now, so I guess it worked. (laughs) But God is moving among among the church, and and it began with the Jews in Jerusalem, and it spread out to the Samaritans, because you remember Philip went to Samaria. He actually left a revival and went to Samaria, and and, and then he left there and went to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch was a convert or a, a, a proselyte, which means he became a Jew, and then he became a Christian. And that's kind of how the Jews thought. They thought, well, you can become a Christian. The Jewish Christians kind of thought, well, you can become a Christian, but first you got to become a Jew. So you got to have all the rituals and the circumcision and all those things, and then we'll, we'll we'll let you become a Christian. Well, God wants to show a further work, and so we're going to see three things that that work out here. A vision that Peter had concerning clean and unclean food. A vision of Cornelius commanding him to send to Peter and the gift of the Holy Spirit falling upon the Gentile church. We're going to see that in our texts. But I want you to remember something. And this is an important point to this whole thing because there's a lot of divide within the church these days about this subject. Did Jesus die only for those who are elected or did Jesus die for the sins of the whole world? And and I, I go the second way. Now I heard I've I've listened to the other arguments and I've listened to what they mean, and they, to me it's a lot of playing around with words. To me, I find it simple when I read first John 2 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That, by the way, is a big fancy word. That means the substitutionary sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. It's the propitiation. God is satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice. Okay? He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And this, by the way, is why you can never add to the work of the cross. Because you think you can add to the work of the cross if God's satisfied with with the death of Christ. How do you add to that? You can't add to perfect work. And so many times we think, well, God is only more, God's going to be more satisfied with me if I pray five hours extra this week. And God's not more satisfied with you. He likes it. It's nice. And we like it, and it's good for us. And that's probably the more important part. It's not so much that prayer... Prayer doesn't necessarily change God's mind, but it changes us, right? And God uses prayer for some reason. I don't know how it works exactly, by the way. I just know it works. And, and I know that when we pray... God does things, and, and and that we're called to pray. But so Acts chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to work our way through this. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment. This isn't the mafia. This is the Italian regiment. <laughs> and a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, and gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. So this guy is a is a godly guy already. He's a guy who's pursuing God. We would call him a seeker, no doubt. And he's in this area <clears throat> called Caesarea. It's right next to the Mediterranean Sea. I've been there many times. I've had a lot of trips to Israel, taking another one. I mentioned that last week. And, and, and this is a beautiful area there right on the Mediterranean, Caesarea by the Sea, or Caesarea Maritime, And it was it was an area where there are ruins there now. There's a big amphitheater there now, there's a large area where they did chariot races. It's it's an incredible place to visit now. And it was a Roman town, and here is this man, he's a centurion, which means he is (coughs) excuse me, in charge of a hundred men and an officer in the army. So he is a high ranking official. He's a good leader. He's got a steady mind, no doubt. He's able and ready to die at his post. He's this kind of man. He's a man's man. A real man's man. And he's devout. He fears God with all his household. He's very sincere and very serious about his, his life before God. He's, he's thinking about these things. These things are on his mind all the time. And he had carried out this in his entire household now you need to understand that that rome was a decadent place and a man like this would have anything he wanted at his fingertips he could probably have any woman he wanted or anything else he wanted and he's yet he's a man he it's filled with idolatry all around him but he's a man who's pursuing the true and living god so he's a man who stood out in a crowd and uh And he's the kind of man who would look at the culture and decide he wanted something more than what the culture offered. By the way, you young people are here today. Let me just say to you, look at this culture around you and decide you want something more than this culture. Because we're as big a mess as Rome was, if not more. And we're headed for the road to Rome, the same place that Rome went as a nation. And uh, prayerfully, hopefully not, but I don't think that's true. I think we're going there, unfortunately. And so, the, you know, you could become a proselyte to worship on Saturday, but you had to, again, completely convert to Judaism. And it would, that would be a good place to start your walk with God. But this man is just fearing God, giving alms, doing what he knows and what he can. And you and I, we know people like this. We've known people like this who get saved, where they're just people who are In, in a sense, they're good people. There are no good people, by the way. Jesus said that. There's only one good, but God. But they're, they're in a sense, they're more, they're more moral. There's a desire for morality. There's a desire to do right. They're seekers. They want God somehow in their life. And that's who this man is. And he's a giving person. And he loves God and he loves people. He wasn't stingy. He desired to help others. He's a man of prayer. And it would seem that in many circles, this man would have been good enough already. But can I just tell you something? As good as this man was, God still said, you need the gospel. As good as this man was, I'm going to send somebody to you who's going to tell you the truth in the real way. Some, uh, you know, and that's exactly what the Bible says. It's not about how good you are. You cannot be good enough for God. Amen. You need Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can make you good. His righteousness is imputed to you through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection, and through the acceptance of him. That's the only way you come. And this man, he'd be considered a seeker, and God knew his heart. And God said, you're a seeker, I'm going to send you somebody. And man, he's going to send him. He's going to send him the apostle, Peter. And so about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and later we'll see that he's praying, and he's honoring the Jewish time of prayer, which they, they, they prayed at tw- 9, 12, and 3. So it's about 3 in the afternoon. <clears throat> and so it says, and he observed this, and he says, he, uh, an angel of God coming into him, saying, Cornelius. Now, have you ever had an angel appear to you? Not me. And, but every time you read it in the Bible, an angel appears to somebody, and this guy's a soldier, right? He's a strong man. What does it say? Angel appeared to him and he stood up and saluted. No. Angel appeared to him and he was afraid. Fear is a natural thing, right? You have an angel appear to you, you're going to be fearful. And uh, and, and I'm sure this kind of freaked him out a little bit. You know, I know for me, if I had an angel literally appear to me, it would freak me out. I've only had a couple of times in my life that I thought the Lord personally spoke to me in a sense of not audibly, but I knew, you know, a few times in my life where it was just like almost audibly, you know. And then I've had a few times where I, I dreamt something and it was like, I woke up and said, that was the Lord, you know. And even that, we go, whoa. Or you know how when you when you tell somebody, you pray with somebody, and then they, they tell you the same thing, and you turn, and, and all of a sudden the two stories come together, and you go, oh. Why do we do that? The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, right? But we get fascinated by it. When this guy is freaked out because an angel appeared to him, and he says, your prayers and your alms have come up from a moral before God. Now send to men Joppa, and send to Simon, whose surname is Peter, so he tells him, "Hey, I've been listening to you, and he's seeking God, and he'll do what he's. What, he seems like he's going to do what's necessary." And he says, "Hey, we've heard you. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea." Verse six, and he will tell you what you must do. We mentioned that Peter, in the last chapter, we saw that he was staying at this house of Simon the tanner. Now, if a woman was married to a tanner, uh, and he, or he became a tanner, it was actually grounds for divorce in the Jewish culture because a tanner was not a place for a Jewish boy. It was not a place for a Jewish man to be because they were around dead animals all the time. They would be skinning these animals and, and getting them ready for turning, the, turning the, uh, the skins into leather. And in fact, you, 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 they, they would say you'd have to be 50 paces outside of the city if you were a tanner and you wouldn't want to live downwind of a tanner. So I mean I don't know if you've ever had a dead animal around it. It kind of stays around for a while. Um, you know, it, it, it can be it can be a rather a dead carcass, you know, kind of thing. I, I had a rat one time that I found in the corner of my house in the garage, and it had been there for I don't know. It didn't look good. I tell you, that, and it didn't smell. Good. I, I found it because of the smell. I was like, I got to find this thing. And uh, it was terrible. So they, this is what a tanner... But a Jew would never normally stay with a tanner uh, for obvious reasons. The dead carcasses, they would be considered unclean, as ceremonially unclean. So Peter, he's softening. Now, this is what God's doing. He's got him staying at the house of a tanner, which is unclean in Judaism, preparing Peter for what he's going to see in this vision, Right? And the angel said, he'll tell you what you have to do. And in and, and, and verse 7, he says, And when the angel who had spoken him departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and devout soldier from among them, and uh, who waited on him continually. And when he had explained all these things, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Joppa is another small town not far away from there. Um, would you, would you mind maybe the kids? You could sit towards the back. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's just... And little... We don't have Sunday school today. We normally do. I apologize. Maybe, but right there in the corner, there's some seats. Thank you. I'm so sorry. Just, I, I can't think. <laughs> I love kids. I got seven grandkids and four kids, and I raised them, and they're great. Um, so... I don't know where I left off here. Verse 7. So, you know, he's in Joppa. And in this area of Joppa, this is a, another small town right on the Mediterranean Sea, not far from Caesarea. So Peter is going to travel over to that place. And, and, um, and in verse, it's about 20 miles or so, so it's a bit of a journey. And it says the next day as they went on their journey and drew near to the city. Excuse me, they're traveling to Peter. I said that he was coming to them. I mean, they're traveling to Peter. And, and there were all kinds of, uh, Peter's, Peter's there in the place. And when he's up on the housetop, verse nine tells us it's around noon. There's a flat roof. He's got a living. There's additional living space. They would often use their housetops as living space. And he's up there. And when they became, he became very hungry. He wanted to eat. And while he made ready, he fell into a trance. Now, I fall into a trance after I eat. I know about Jews sometimes. He's falling into a trance before he eats. And it says, descending to him, and they let down. They, it says that he sees these animals descending and let down in, on the earth. And it was all kinds of four-footed animals, verse 12, of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and, and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound on four corners. So he's got this sheet. And he's got these animals appearing on the sheet, and they're all unclean animals. And so every kind of animal, unclean and clean, and God is giving him a list of animals. Remember, they had only certain animals they could eat. If you study back into Leviticus, there were certain things they could not eat. Things like certain birds, lobster. Couldn't have lobster back then. If you like lobster, no shrimp, no, no shellfish of any kind. Things that weren't kosher. And so the voice comes from heaven and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. Now, have you ever said not so, Lord? I, I mean, you might say not so, and you might say Lord, but let's not say them in the same sentence. This is not a lesson we want to learn from Peter. Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I am a kosher Jew. Imagine you're standing before an angel or the Lord or whoever this is that's appearing to Peter and speaking to him. It's a voice. And you're going to argue with a voice and say, no, I'm better than what you're telling me to do. You better humble yourself, brother. <laughs> There's an inconsistency here, of course. But he's very hungry, but he's too proud of his heritage and rather rather die of starvation than eat what God tells him to eat. But this is preparing a broader thing in Peter. And the voice spoke to him again and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, by the way, Peter seems to have a lot of things done in threes. Have you noticed that? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know, it just seems like that's, and uh, the, the, you know, the rooster would crow. By the way, he probably went through his whole life here and... <laughs> people behind him, you know, making fun of them. But if God gives you something in a vision and a dream, you need to see that it's from him and he gets this confirmation. He calls and they, it, 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 they get confirmation. Look at verse 17. While Peter wondered within himself what it, this vision was all about, the men who had sent from Cornelius had an inquiry for Simon Peter and stood before the gates. So these guys show up and God tells him Prepare yourself. And they called and asked whether Peter, whose surname was Peter, was there, Simon, whose surname is Peter, verse 19. And Peter thought about the vision, and the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. I guess this would be a little bit of a sign, right? <laughs> this is, this is kind of obvious information coming from God. Arise, therefore, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Wouldn't you like to know the will of God that way? Wouldn't that be a great way for God to lay out His will to you every day? <laughs> This one's clear to Peter what he's supposed to do. And Peter went down with the men verse 21 who had, who had who had been sent from Cornelius and said, "Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come?" And and, and you know, again, this had to have been pretty supernatural for these Gentiles because they come to the house of Simon the tanner, they come to find Simon Peter, who I'm sure is well known in the area. And when they find out who Simon Peter is, they get there and they ask him. And, and they had to be like, you're coming with us? Like maybe they didn't expect it. And the next, Peter, next day Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So some Jewish brothers go. And we're, we know that there were uh, a total of about 10 that probably went. And imagine the conversation. It took two days to get there. Imagine the conversation they were having along the way. You know, with the, like, you know, probably about Cornelius and probably, you know, about the vision and Jesus telling him about, or Peter telling him all about his life with Jesus and, and, uh, and his life and times and experiencing, uh, the miracles of the Lord and, and walking on water and all the various things that happened around them. And the following day they entered Caesarea, verse 24. And Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. Smart thing to do, by the way. If you're going to have a Bible study, get some friends around. And, he, and they figured they got Simon, Simon Peter's here, and he calls everybody in. He brings a whole crowd in. We don't know how many were there. Maybe as many as in this room right now. A whole group. And, uh, and he falls down, and he worships Peter. And, of course, Peter said, well, I am the first pope. Would you please just kiss my ring? <laughs> no. Of course not. He didn't do that. He didn't know any better. Cornelius didn't know any better of what to do, so he, he fell down to worship him. And they would do this often with someone who they honored, like a Caesar. Remember, they believed Caesar was God. Caesar believed he was God. He taught himself as if he was God. And they didn't know any better. And this man was likely wealthy and prominent, and he thought, well, someone sent by an angel to me. i, I got to bow down and worship him. But Peter, he will have none of it. He's not to be worshiped. The saints are not to be worshiped. Statues are not to be worshiped. By the way, I've been to Rome and the, 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 the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And they, everybody gets in line and goes past the statue of St. Peter in Rome. And, uh, and I did it just because everybody does it. And I wanted to see what everybody's doing. And as uh, they go up, and they actually kiss the toe of St. Peter. You know, and now, but now they don't, most of them now they, they do this because, you know, it's even pre COVID they were doing that. Because, you know, like, well, I'm not kissing the same thing you're kissing. Thing. But you know that he kissed that toe so many times, it's actually been kissed off. That toe is gone. I saw it, there's no toe. <laughs> and it's just, you know, kind of this statue, it's just a piece of stone. And of course, people do that sometimes, they worship statues. You know, some of them put them on their lawns. We have a lot of that on the East Coast, which we're very, there's a very Roman Catholic culture back in the East Coast. So there's a lot of Mary statues all around and things. And Peter doesn't have anything of it. He says, Peter lifts him up and says, stand up. I am also, I myself am also a man. Gracious. He lifts him up and, and, and will not allow him to worship him. And he talked with him, and he went in and found the many who had come together. So here's Peter in this room filled of Gentiles. Now he's starting to see why God said, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. I'm doing something new here, Peter. I'm doing something creative. And he said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to, with or go to another nation. <laughs> it's interesting how he starts that way, right? Now you guys know I'm not supposed to be here, right? <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. But God, look at verse, middle of verse 28, very important. These but gods through the scripture are really important and this is important. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Walls are coming down, man. God's breaking through. And Peter, Therefore, he says, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? Great question. God has spoken. Peter should have known after all that has happened, but he gives them the opportunity to tell the story. And, And so Cornelius tells the story. He says, I was fasting four days ago in this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and an angel appeared and before me in bright clothing. He's given more detail than what we read the first time. And he says, the prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before the sight of God. And by the way, the prayer here is probably a very specific prayer. You know, it's been said that God doesn't answer the prayers of unbelievers. Have you heard that? I've heard that. But that's not necessarily true. He definitely answers one prayer of unbelievers. What is it? Lord save me! <laughs> Lord, show me the truth. You know, when I, when I gave my heart to the Lord, that's how it started. I was in a crisis in my life, and my, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was pregnant. And I, we weren't married. We were, you know, not Christians, uh, raised in the Roman Catholic Church, but doing nothing. And, that, and, and the, you know, I, I heard the gospel before, but I didn't believe it. And I was going to visit my sister, who's a Christian up here in Oregon, And I was in Reno, Nevada, all by myself, and she was in New Jersey, all by herself, and she called me and said, I'm pregnant. And I, it was me. It's my fault. I I remember crying out to God and saying, God, why did you do this to me? And I, I sort of remember hearing a voice, and that wasn't that, what wasn't that, but it was sort of like, I think you had something to do with it. (laughs) And so then, I cried out to God though, and I said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. You guys remember that prayer in your life, something like that? Lord, if, if, if you are genuine, would you reveal yourself? Would you show me the truth? And he did, and I praise the Lord for it. No doubt, Simon prayed something like that. Some, some prayer of, Lord, help me. I want to know the truth. And God spoke to him and said, go get Simon, the fellow in Joppa. Simon Peter, he's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Bring him here, and he will speak to you. Isn't it interesting? The angel could have spoke the gospel to him, couldn't he? You ever wonder about that? God chooses men to preach the gospel. The angel could have said to, said to him, Well, you know, Jesus. You, you guys have heard of Jesus, right? And Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead on the third day and all you need to do is receive Christ. But no, what does he do? He says, said to Simon, because he wants the gospel to come through the lips of men. Do you realize that we're the ones that are called to preach the gospel? And so, God told me you would have the answers. Not, the, not, not us have questions. You would have the answers. And Peter opened his mouth and that's when he, he, he goes through what we read this morning. In verse 34, he said, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The title of my message today is No Favorites in the Kingdom. There's no favorites. God shows no partiality. God doesn't look at at Americans and say, well, I'm going to save more Americans than I am people in, in, in Guatemala or San Salvador or any of these other places in the world. And I've traveled on, you know, God's been gracious to me. I've traveled all over the world and shared the gospel. And I've seen people saved all over the world. And it's wonderful. And God does not have favorites. Well, and maybe he does. We're all his favorites. (laughs) Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what background you came from. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor. Doesn't matter whether you were raised in a wonderful home or you were raised in a terrible home. You ever notice that, that sometimes there's that guy that was raised or that girl that was raised in a wonderful Christian home and they walk away. And then you have someone who was raised in the worst of environment and they're following the Lord. It's because of the heart of man is where it all happens. He says, every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, he's not saying you can work for your salvation, but he's saying there's a righteousness that comes along with salvation. He said, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Here he says, preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That word you know, which, you, which was proclaimed throughout Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now he's getting into the gospel with the Holy Spirit and with power. Verse 38, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things. That's what Peter's saying. I'm a martyr of these things. The word witness is martyr. I'm a martyr of these things, and that which he both did in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, and whom they killed him hanging on a tree. I witnessed him dying on a cross. He died. There's nothing more powerful than eyewitness. Amen. Peter is an eyewitness, and I think that's why he brought Peter to him rather than maybe Philip. is because he's an eyewitness, and this is the first of the major influence in the Gentiles, and he wants the eyewitness testimony to them. He's an eyewitness, Peter's saying. I, listen, I saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. You know, I, I saw him calm the sea. I saw him feed the 5,000 and the 4,000 and heal the sick, and cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. I saw all that, Peter could say. He could testify. We were with him on Palm Sunday when he came down the road, and they laid down the palms and sang Hosanna. We saw it. I saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration next to Moses and Elijah, and he was changed in front of our eyes. I saw it all, Peter said. John testifies of the same thing in his in his epistle, First John. He says, that which we have seen in which we have heard, in which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. You see, we have personal eyewitness testimony. That's what this book is all about. We saw him. In him, verse 40, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter said, listen, I saw him eat fish. I saw him drink wine. I saw him with me. We were together. I held his hand. I, I I put my hand on his back when he was risen from the dead. We hugged. We shook hands. He kissed my neck after he rose. Imagine these things. And he did, He preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen, you're going to preach the gospel, preach the whole gospel. You know, the whole gospel is not just Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, it's great to start there that Jesus does love them, but that's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is that 1 Corinthians 15 is a great model for that whole gospel. It says, Moreover, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast. He said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So, number one, the gospel, Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by over 500 people at once. He was seen by Cephas, that's Peter. And the 12 and 500 people at once. And after that, he was seen by James and and so on. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the the sins of the world, for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of Cornelius. That's what he's telling him. That's the good news. And listen, this is what we have to deliver. This is what we are. We are vessels of reconciliation to sinners who need a Savior. And if you don't know Christ today, I don't know everybody here. I may not know everybody here even when I'm here for five weeks. But there may be somebody here or two or three who still are not saved, you need the gospel, you need the good news, you need to receive Christ as your Lord and your Master and your Savior. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, maybe you know the story, maybe you know all about it, maybe you've read the Bible, but you've never opened your heart and you know it. You've never said, yes, Lord, I believe and I want you in my life. And I declare that gospel to you just as Peter declared it to Cornelius and his friends. That's what the apostles did. They, they preached the cross and resurrection. In verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. And to him, all prophets, all the, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Listen, this is what it's all about, you guys. Forgiveness. Remission of sins means you have been forgiven of your sins. Is this not the difference between every other religion there is in the world? The grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, is it, it changes everything. It changes the entire landscape of things. It's essential. And believing in the essential work of grace is a foundational principle. It's a key attribute of a solid church and a solid believer. Grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Aren't you glad your sins are forgiven? I mean, where would you be if your sins are not forgiven? This is what sets Christianity apart. I mean, it's an old bumper sticker that used to be, I'm not perfect, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven, right? Now, let's not use that as a cop-out to be as imperfect as we can, (laughs) But at the same time, it's true. We're forgiven. The remission of sins. And verse 44 is an amazing, 44 and 45, amazing verse. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard it. <laughs> Just imagine this. This is like, this is the Gentile Pentecost. That's what this is right here. This is the Gentile experience of Pentecost. Because the Jews had had their Pentecost, but now, The whole place, the word of God is going forth and the Holy Spirit says, hold it. Listen, by the way, the Holy Spirit is allowed to interrupt anytime he wants. Did you know that? He's the Holy Spirit. And they're blown away by this. And it says, those who are of the circumcision, that is the Jews who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. You got to understand this was unbelievable to them. They didn't even believe these guys were human. They thought the only reason for a Gentile is, is so that hell could keep, keep hot. Let's just send some more Gentiles to burn them there. This is an unbelievable thing. They can't even fathom this. That's why I said to you earlier, I want you to think about that person who you think is unreachable. Who you think they can't, this one will never get saved. It's, it's impossible. You probably said, It's impossible. Have you ever thought that? You got something? It's impossible. Now, if you're a strong Christian, you know the Lord, you know nothing's impossible with God. But in our human mind, there are people that we think, Yeah, well, I pray for them, but <laughs> you don't know them. You, you can't believe how messed up they are. I mean, if you knew them, you wouldn't believe they could get saved, kind of thing. And it says that. They all spoke with tongues, and they magnified God. This is an outpouring of the work of the Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. There's an overflow. They're speaking, they're the praising and worshiping God in an experience here. And Peter answered and said, Can anyone forbid that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I, I love that he goes to baptism here. <clears throat> not that baptism saves you. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism does prove you're saved. It does prove out, or it shows your salvation. It's an outward sign of an inward work in your heart, right? And by the way, if you're a Christian and you have not been baptized, get baptized. And if you need to get baptized, let me know, and we'll do a baptism while, while I'm here. Baptism is an important, very important thing in the church, And I find in these days, for some reason, some Christians don't get baptized. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why would you not want to be baptized? I had this one lady. She wanted to be baptized so bad, but she couldn't get in the pool. And she said, well, Pastor Chris, we believe in immersion, don't we? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, but I can't get up the steps. She was 84 years old. I said, listen, give me a cup. (laughs) And we just poured a cup over her head. Do you think God doesn't honor that? Certainly he does. The desire to be baptized. And Peter says, why should we forbid them from being baptized? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then he stayed with them a few days. Peter was changing. His view had changed. Peter's life was transformed once again here. And, you know, there's a work of sanctification that goes on in all of our lives, doesn't it? You know, where there's something that God is doing and he's showing us different things. He's revealing new things to us, even when we're old, by the way. Older. I'm older. I'm older than some and younger than some. (laughs) But we need to be open to the Lord changing our heart and our attitude toward our prejudices. You understand? We're going to see in the next chapter how that he defends his position in the change in Jerusalem. Peter's going to, this is going to be a battle for Pete. He's got to now go to his Jewish buddies. (laughs) He's got to go back there and say, you know that uh, thing we thought was all Jewish? (laughs) Uh, It's not. It's got greater reach. And he'll face Judaizers, he'll face those and it's not the last time this debate will come up because the Apostle Paul will have these Judaizers following him around pretty much everywhere he goes, refuting the gospel of grace and saying, coming in. And in Galatians, they come in and say, we know you're saying you're Christians, but you all got to be circumcised. Imagine coming to a whole church of Gentiles, all the men, and saying, you all got to be circumcised. And Paul, Peter, uh, Paul says, let them all be accursed. He said, that's just not the case. So let's just close this up with some thoughts. What is God trying to say to his church as we study Acts chapter 10 here in Newburgh, Oregon? What does the Lord want to speak to you and I today about these things? I know for me, I was, uh, I, I was, as I was reviewing this over, I was really thinking how, how it's a turning point in the church. That this whole thing is a turning point, and it... It's it's that, you know, there's a turning point in relationships where Peter has to change his mind about his relationship with Gentiles. What is it all about? He's already begun by being in in the house of Sinai and the Tanner, but now it's being radically adjusted. And that it was also a turning point within the church itself. That this is the beginning of the outpouring of the Spirit upon the Gentile church. And it's also a turning point in God's promise where he's He's promised that he's going to touch the Gentiles. And as I as I think of this, and as I consider this, the personal application that comes to mind is, again, what about that person that I know or you know? So I want you to take a moment before, we're going to go to communion today, of course, but I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just think about someone you have thought Maybe you haven't really thought impossible, but you thought, man, this one. And there's probably more than one for many of us. And I want you to just think, Lord, Holy Spirit, will you fall upon them and will you speak to their hearts? And will you call them like you called these Gentiles? Lord, would you do a new work in their lives today? And I put aside my prejudices right now, Lord, my previous way I think about that person. And I want to see them in the spiritual realm and see that you want to save them, Lord. Would you just cry out to God and pray that he would do a work there. And I want you to realize that salvation belongs to our God. As it says in Revelation, he belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation is his. It's not ours. We don't control it. He does. He desires that none will perish. He wants all men to be saved. And just to put a little more color on this, of thinking of who could be saved and who can't. I have a friend who works primarily with Muslims I can't mention his name and he told me that the fastest growing church in the world right now is in the Middle East with Muslims who surround Israel and all the Middle East. They're getting saved in droves because there's no hope in Islam there's no hope in their government So just the people you think, God can't reach them, he's reaching them. So put aside all those prejudices in your heart and mind. Realize that God loves the whole world, wants to reach them. And what he has made clean, never call unclean. And commit and pray for the salvation of those you think it's impossible. Stay with that in Jesus' name. Amen.